Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, the hey. what's going on? We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast 2016. Welcome to another Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Ben Parker. Hello, Ben. Hello. And how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm hot. It's hot today in London. It yeah. is a bit, it's a muggy, isn't it? It's going to absolutely... It's muggy, bid, yeah. It's going to bid it down. Um, despite the power of the internet, because of the power of the internet, we're talking to each other in London over the internet, bouncing miles into the satellites. Um, <laughs> so what's the film we've come together to talk about that's playing at Fright Fest? Uh, it's my uh, directorial debut, The uh, the Chamber. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the title again? Sorry, I made a little noise then. <laughs> it's called The Chamber. Okay, do you want to give us a brief synopsis? Yeah, it's um, set off the coast of Korea, uh, present day, and um, uh, on a research vessel uh, that's commandeered by some American black ops people who uh, take control of the small submersible they have uh, in order to look for something at the bottom of the sea and across the line into North Korea as well, which is uh, a bit dicey. Okay. And um, invariably, shit happens. Good, that's a horror film then, yeah? Yeah, it's not It's not classically a horror film, it's more of a, a claustrophobic thriller. Okay, okay. It's kind of, you know, in, in like um, Buried or stuff like that. It's It's got bits of gore in it, and but most of the horror is the... the the sheer horrific claustrophobia. I mean, for me, it's a horror film. I when I wrote it, it was a it was a horror film for me because I'm not very good with small spaces. But um, which you know didn't occur to me that I was going to actually be in that situation. <laughs> wow, you you wrote your own masochistic text. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, let's let's tell everybody when they can see this at Fright Fest then. Uh, it's playing Friday the 26th, um, and it's playing at 11.30, 1.30, and 4.30, and they just added an extra screening at 1.45 because we sold out the 1.30 screening. Wow, check you out. <laughs> yeah. That's the first that I've heard of that happening before, so well done. Thank you, yeah, I'm very excited. Now we've got to fill and sell out that other one. <laughs> oh, well, look, I mean, you, you're already, you, you know people are watching your film, that's safe, as it were, as they used to say in the yeah. bullseye. And now you've got this little extra one. Um, are you, are you, presumably you're going to be there. Yeah, yeah, I'll be there all weekend, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, a diehard uh, Fright Fester anyway. I've been going for maybe eight, eight years. And um, I, I'd have been there anyway. I'd have been there even if my film wasn't showing. So I'm looking forward to all the other stuff that's playing over the weekend as well. Now, listening to your accent, there's nothing obviously Korean. No. Um, about your accent, and so what compelled you to uh, to write a film 
and make a film set there in, in this story that you described? Well, it's, it's funny because when I, when I wrote it, it was like four years ago, um, the situation was, you know, where can we do this that, that has the most sort of tension? Where in the world is there, is there global geopolitical tension? And I mean, a lot of the, because the, some of the characters are American, there's a, there's a sort of, uh, you know, a, a theme there about American foreign policy. So, you know, somewhere that the Americans are interested in, somewhere that you would find international uh, players. And, you know, North Korea is just, you know, interesting that way that it's, it's this hermit kingdom, not much known about it. And yet, like, you know, everybody seems to bang the drum about it being very, very dangerous. So to, to, to base it there, uh, it seemed, seemed like the right idea. Mm. And then since writing it, you know, loads of shit has kicked up in North Korea, you know, it's the kind of thing where you watch the news and go, you know, North Korea's launched a, a missile from, from a submarine and, and I text everybody and go, this is great. You know, when, when actually it's, it's probably not that great, you know, for the rest of the world, but for the story. For the provenance that you're creating in that area of the world. Yeah, it's become quite sort of pressing, you know, that it, it, it takes place, the majority of the film takes place on a on a submarine at the bottom of the uh, the Yellow Sea. Mm. So, you know, you know, it's not, you don't get to see much of North Korea at all. Uh, just a couple of twinkling lights in the background, but um to know that that's where it's set to be to be so, in that situation. So when you were draft when you were originally writing this, it was just the idea of the claustrophobic situation, not the geopolitical instability in North Korea. That's that was something you. No, that's that's just that's just 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 me and just interested in that in general. Okay. And sitting down to write, you know, an interesting genre film about uh, the geopolitical situation of America and North Korea is not something that jumps off the page. Not at all. No. 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 So. Um, but four people trapped in a tin can, um, you know, drowning or, you know, looking down the barrel of, of, of dying at the bottom of the ocean. That's mm. that just really interesting from the get go. Uh, and all that other stuff is is icing. You know. So so when you when you when you were penning this then and, and obviously I'm assuming given the name Chamber and what you just and where you've described it and comparing it to Buried, this is very much a contained thriller, yeah? Yeah, very much. Yeah, we start we start out in the open world. Uh, there's little glimpses of what's going on outside, but yeah, the, you know, ninety percent of the film is is stuck in that small space. And when you get in there, you're you're in there, and we we really give you no no reprieve from the very small claustrophobic environment. And it just the tension. I mean, everything about the film, the 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 lighting and the the music and just the plot as well. Just everything sort of gears towards. Uh, um, this claustrophobic scenario. So, just before you get to the sort of producing of this, then. So, when yeah. when you were writing this, then, so you said there was four characters. Did you say? Yeah. So, four when when, when you course. were script at the scripting stage, what was the hardest part for you to resolve in terms of storytelling with that setup? Well, I mean, you're almost literally putting yourself in a box. Uh, so, which is is good in some ways that the the story is pretty a to b you know it's, it's fantastic for keeping you on the straight and narrow and not going oh should i have a flashback should i go off here should i you know go to a different country different scene you know a to b is great for sitting down and getting through that story hmm. what 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 it's difficult is that you're trapped you know you're you're stuck in there with four people and you know there's 
there's scenes, there's, there's time jumps and stuff like that, but but really there's no escape. You can't cut away. You can't um, leave these people. So that I mean that's really difficult to 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 have four characters that you know they don't. It's I guess you know a comparison is like you know twenty four you know in a, in a twenty four episode that you know Keith for Southern ne- never never goes to the loo never goes to have a cup of tea in a, in a break, <laughs> ten minute break between whatever's happening, and it's like that you know you 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 don't get any sort of breather and that's difficult to write and it's it's difficult to make sure that that pace keeps up that everybody's interested and and these people don't betray their characters. And, and presumably then are all four people engaged with each other for the entire length of the film, more or less. Yeah, so there's the, the submarine pilot is a civilian and, you know, the, the Black Ops team, uh, of which there are four, but three are on the sub, they take the sub and say, can you, can you pilot this for us? Uh, we need to look for something. They don't right, tell them okay. what they're looking for. And, you know, it's not long before they're taking control of that sub mm. realize that the pilot is just there to for a cover to make sure that he shows them how to use the controls and, and then they're going to take control of the sub got you. so that that conflict there is early on of you know a civilian who is us is the audience and we we know as much as he he does about what's going on you're suspicious of them you're you're wondering what they're looking for and then the whole you know story their story what they're looking for sort of slowly reveals itself you know what could they be looking for at the bottom of this uh, of the sea you know why is it important that they get to it and why is it important they find it so so is it is it is it one of the one of the ops people's story or is it the story of all what all the ops are after yeah you we you know we we see the situation through the eyes of the of the submarine pilot the civilian okay okay and you know, we go into that submarine um, through him. He's not he's not entirely happy about um, handing over his precious submarine to, to a bunch of uh, Americans. Mm. And as you get into it, though, you know, in that small space, every single one of them, you know, every each of the four has a story, has a background that you start to, to you know, glean and start to understand, you know, why they're all there. There's a guy there who's who's uh, the heavy, who's there to enforce things. There's a guy there who's, you know, knows his way around the, the tech. There's, you know, the the team leader, uh, and this is I don't know, maybe controversial for, for who you suspect these Americans are, but she's a, a woman and she's the team leader and she's controlling this uh, this mission in a, in a, in initially in a very diplomatic way and then, and then quickly turns into a sort of very aggressive uh, military way. Ah, okay, okay. So, given you're talking about submarines, and despite it being that, that kind of fixed location, when, when you're in that pre-production stage with your screenplay, what aspects of the shoot seem the most insurmountable, and, and, and how did you get over them? I mean, I've been... I had a short film that played at, um, at Fright Fest um, a few years ago now, uh, in front of Kill List, and um, there is a point to this, that, that I... I the last short film I made was was something that was quite um, challenging, and there was lots of um, police sirens in it. There was lots of <laughs> uh, there was lots of stunts and special effects, uh, and you know, guns and and all kinds. And it was you know, on the page you're thinking this is never going to happen. I'm never going to get this done. And there was even a scene you know that's set in a snowscape, and everybody said you know you'll never get this done, and so that my sort of, you know, 
cheekiness to go, yeah, let's see if we can do it. And, and that was a really great experience just pushing, uh, that as far as it would go to try and get what we, what we could. And it, and it, it ended up brilliantly. Mm. And so setting it in a submarine, I thought this is, this is, this is better because we're all in one sort of in, enclosed environment. It's going to be easier. There's no like, you know, falling over, you know, off a bridge stunts. There's no, you know, a massive amount of CG and, and people being set on fire and stuff. And then when you get into pre-production and you start designing this set and realize that you're going to have to, you know, immerse it in water, that is, you know, that's just the biggest part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, in in the UK, there's 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 very few places that you can that you can do underwater filming, and uh, places like Pinewood, you know, is the most famous one, and you you you're competing with the James Bonds and the and whatever giant production is going in there. Yeah. Uh, we thought we could, you know, try and fit it around that and try and get that, get the set into a tank there. And then uh, we got a, a great production designer. In fact, that was, you know, he was one of the first sort of uh, pieces of the puzzle because there was a script and there was goodwill towards it. And there was, as people saying, this would be great to do. But, um, I reached out to this guy, John Bunker, who's just a, you know, fantastic production designer. He worked on things like The Shining back in the day and, wow. and then more recently with, um, Children of Men. He did some of the sort of 3D effects stuff for, um, for Gravity. Just a, a very great technical mind and, um, just full of stories is great. And he, he, I mean, he loved the script, reminded it of something he was going to do, he, he was going to do earlier on in his career and, and he was, you know, that was, that was a, a piece of the jigsaw that when he came on board, some, you know, I think a lot of people went, at least we know that the, that the actual set's going to work, you know, and <laughs> I, I, realizing that was actually the biggest piece. Everybody was worried about that. So that was good. And then, and then the decision that, I don't know why we made this decision, but the decision to build a water tank instead of shoot inside a water tank. We're going to build our own giant um bespoke water tank for this film um on a small budget you know it's just um it's just crazy <laughs> so where, where did you end up building the water tank then um in wales in um in uh the back of the uh studios at sony in bridge end okay. they do they do filming there and they have a big um you know, a facility where they, they build lots of Sony products and they have a big, huge warehouse at the back, which they film like things like Dr. Who and stuff like that. Mm. And, um, you know, great drainage for, for if <laughs> you need to get rid of war quickly. Um, yeah. And so I think that going into the pre-production, that, that, that was the, the most daunting aspect of it. Um, because everything else, you know, casting, writing and, and, and stuff like that, that's fun. That's, that's creative and, you know, that gets my uh, sort of energy up and, and the logistics of building a giant tank that holds like God knows how many tons of water. That's, that's something that's out of my realm. <laughs> no, no, I can imagine. I can imagine it must have been, it must have been more than reassuring to have somebody with, like you say, with so much technical ability and, and the, uh, and the CV to prove it. Um, yeah. To come on board. Um, with, with it being the, the contained environment then, and um, I referred to this on the last podcast I recorded for this preview series, um, Jeremy Saulnier talked about Green Room, and despite the fact that most of the action takes place in the Green Room, as it were, yeah. he, he, he talks a lot about the challenges of, um, 
all the setups you have to do to get make sure you get all the perspectives of the different people in the room. Yeah. In the shoot. So what was your conversation like with your DLP for making sure you got you kept it interesting, if nothing else? We had that conversation before the DLP actually. We okay. yeah, John and I were talking about um you know, if you if if you're putting a set if you're sort of descending uh, hanging a set over a tank and then and then dropping it down into the water to to simulate the rising water mm. that you have to have a set that's that's rigid and solidly built and that is going to be able to be craned in and that doesn't give you many options uh, for maneuverability with a camera getting in and out at different angles okay. so one, one of the considerations for building uh, a tank you know from the ground up that you know you build a set inside then you build the tank around it uh, it's slightly more laborious, but it gives you the opportunity to rest the set um, on the ground. We 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 made it on a gimbal so that it could roll over 360, and we designed it, or John designed it, that uh, it could have you know sections of the set that that pulled away. So the front and the back came away, the wow. sides came away, and then and then also if you flip the set three 360 degrees, well 180, if you flip it upside down. You can then pull those sections off, uh, panels off the side as well, and get a camera in there, and made it so that the rigging above the set <clears throat> could be used to hang the camera and maneuver the camera around. So, at the point that DOP came on, uh, Ben Pritchard, yeah. um, the discussion was: Look, we're going to have this set that you can pull apart in different ways. You know, how, how do you want to get in there with the camera? How do, you know, how do you, how do we want to shoot it? And, you know, he was great in figuring out a way of, uh, rigging the camera on a bungee rig that, that slid around the rigging above, uh, very quickly. You know, in hindsight, looking back at it without, without that ingenuity to, in him, how, how he's going to shoot it. Um, we definitely wouldn't have been able to shut it in the, in the time that we did. Uh, you know, it was a very short turnaround time. It was like 22 days, 23 days. Wow, wow. And, um, yeah. And, you know, you just never, I didn't, I, a lot of people on the uh, production have worked in and around water, but I think that you just, you just don't consider how difficult things get when, when a set starts filling up with water. <laughs> Especially for a camera, yeah. I was going to say, is it, is, it, is it? Does it feel like you're on the brink of disaster all the time, so to speak? Yeah, it feels weird. The the, the feeling of getting into a, a wet wetsuit, a cold wetsuit, and then getting into you know water, you, your body just thinks you, you're going into a situation that you get killed. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to drown here if you're not if you're not on it the whole time. And our, our first AD, bless him, he's like, you know, it's just. Fantastic at keeping everybody uh, together and alive, and uh, you know on time. But but he was like he's like five foot two. You know he's he's the person on set that's most worried about you know, the the water rising because he's going to disappear first. You know <laughs> you have to, you got to. I think we should get life preservers for everybody, double life preservers, and you know a little bell so that if you ever slip under the water, it goes off. You know stuff like that. No, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like going into water every day. Yeah, you know, yeah. I never thought of that until you, until you got to that point. Then I don't actually thought you're actually building around. You're building yourself in something that, if something malfunctions, you're in a you're in a disaster. You're in a disaster area, aren't you, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, one of the one of one of the <laughs> obvious 
touchstones for the film is, um, you know, James Cameron's The Abyss, mm. which, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I was shocked. It's like 25 years old now uh, or, or more. And, um, you know, the stuff that he did, that, you know, there's a great documentary about him making it. Mm. Uh, you know, you definitely don't want to watch that documentary before you go into a, to a film set that's that's involving war. It's um, it's pretty scary. You know, like in, you know, shooting you know fifty percent of that film underwater, and you know, it, it never occurred to me. You know, how are you how are you going to block a scene? You know, when when <laughs> when you're underwater, you know, you have to you have to hold your breath, go down then, you know, point to things and then come back up and explain what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, we didn't have any of these sort of fancy, you know, Jacques Cousteau, um, you know, diving Just races. rewind a second there, Ben. So so this all kind of, this was all revelation to you as you were making the film, so to speak. I mean, you know, you've, you've planned it meticulously. You've, you've, yeah, yeah, you've yeah. Plot- you plotted out, like storyboarded everything, and we did we we did overhead storyboards. We did, you know, a flood map to show exactly where the water was going to be on every day. Mm. And it's just the little things that you forget, like, oh yeah, how am I gonna how am I gonna talk to my DOP when we're underwater? <laughs> amazing, amazing. Well, look, um, what was the? Um, can you talk us through the um, the casting process for the movie? Then, given, I mean, that's that all seems quite. Um, quite traditional given what the conversation's gone so far yeah no it is you know traditional and it's fun because you know that i definitely that's in my wheelhouse and you know you know i'm sure you're saying we you know watch a lot of films and 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 geek out about a lot of films and you you tend to see a lot of actors and a lot of people and and there was a consideration early on that to you know we were shooting in wales with uh, welsh co- co-production with uh, film wales so we looked at Welsh actors, and we looked at, and then we looked at a broad range of of everybody. And I think just the difficult part of that is, I don't. It wasn't difficult at all. It's just fun. It's all fun. It's just you just you just shit yourself if you're getting close to shooting and you haven't had certain people confirm whatever. But oh, I see. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so for me, um, as a first-time director, it's it's one of the, this little casting process can be tricky because people don't know your work. You can show them short films and stuff that you've done in the past, but that you're an unknown quantity, and so that's um, that's a big deal, you know. So, so in a way, you're you're selling yourself as much as you're trying. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot, the of the, a lot of the processes. We had a, a great casting director, Kirsty Kinnear. Okay. She works with Susie Figgis on some on some giant productions, mm. Tim Burton films and stuff. And uh, she was fantastic at get, getting us, you know, a list of people, getting us uh, meetings in, in front of people. Uh, and then I think you know the real the real crux, the the back is broken when you meet and you can convince uh, whoever's up for, up for the character that you know what you're talking about and you know what you want. And I don't know, I, I get it. It sounds like I'm bad. Uh, my ego's getting in the way. But, like, you know, the, that process is fun for me and, and talking to actors about the character is, is, is great fun. I think when you get certain people locked in that it's like dominoes falling mm. we got you know when we got johannes kunke from force majeure yeah i think that that was at the time that's such a it was a sort of you know fresh in everybody's minds such a great film that the other actors liked as well it wasn't 
you know, it's not like a giant, huge Hollywood blockbuster. It's a, it's a great art house film that other actors looked at and went, God, I love that film. And no, no, oh, it was, it was, I remember yeah. it, it was a talk of can when it, play, when it premiered there. Yeah, so you you know you go oh that that guy's in it oh great you know I'd love to work with him so mm. um, that helps and you know um, just, it's, uh, it's, all, it's all logical though because it's in the end it's it's it, no matter what walk of life people want to work with people they either know or they admire you know it's it's, yeah. it's, it's fairly straightforward isn't it in some senses yeah and the and the characters you know there's 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 one of the characters. Um, yeah, spoiler alert. That one of the characters uh, doesn't have as much in the film as the rest of them. That mm. is, um, but you know, he he's really the the heart of the film, and for the audience, they really like sympathise with this character, and 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 so that's great. You go, oh, I'm, you know, you're going to be up to your neck in war, and you know, it's going to be grueling, but you know, you get to be that guy. That's great, and. Another character who's gonna get to be the you know powder keg that goes off and and doing that in a small space being being someone that loses it you know that's that's just great fun you know that's, that's someone looks at that and goes great oh, that that'll be fun and then the the actress that was the I think that was the most trickiest one because you know it, my opinions on the character and the way I wrote the character. Uh, clashes with a lot of people's um, sensibilities. You know, she's she's not one thing. She starts off uh, kind of a bitch in the beginning, and then and then we sort of understand why she's doing what she's doing, and then we sort of get on board. Okay. And that's a tricky premise because there's lots of people that can do one thing, and it's really tricky to to have someone nail you know two sides of the coin and do it really well. And uh, and Charlotte Salt is playing this character, and we met. You know, she she just she just nailed the character. She just knew exactly how that was going to go. And and when we talked about it, and when we you know did read-throughs and stuff, it was it was obvious that she was going to. She's just like a chameleon. I mean, if I, I think her face actually changes throughout the film. I'm not <laughs> sure. Like there's like, like different ways that you shoot, or you, she just looks like someone else. You're just like wow. Uh, but you know her performance you know throughout changes and it's just great to watch and and got a great feeling in, in the beginning and and then yeah when I, when all the players when all the actors were in place it was just like yeah this is going to work you know what how do, how does your conversation start with your your actors when you're on set i mean obviously given the unorthodoxy of the of the setup you had there um, what are you are you asking them for something or are you expecting something or are you telling them what to do um, yeah, I mean, different people have, you know, different, different acting methods and different things that they, they want, you know, you, you, you saw that out with the discussions, you know, beforehand, but, you know, everybody was having an adventure on this because we're all getting into the same claustrophobic environment or, you know, getting into, to wetsuits and into, into the water. So that does add a, an extra added level of pressure that, that, you know, you you never knew you know someone you know someone's gonna flip out on one day and you get stuck in that small space. But the conversations with the actors are, you know, Johannes is Swedish, so a lot of the conversations were really really about the script and about how I, you know, it's very easy for me to write this guy's Swedish, 
Uh, and it's another thing for, for me to get the dialogue right for a Swedish person. You know, it's, you know, little things like, uh, you know, pronouncing depth gauge for a Swede. You just, you, you, it never happens. So, um, it comes out as depth gouge or something like that, you know. So things like that. The conversations were, let's talk about the fact that this guy's Swedish and, you know, whatever, whatever his motivations. Um, being different from the others, the three black ops guys, you know, they it benefited them to be to to act like a crew, to act like a group. They sort of bonded together, uh, and as actors, you know, behind the scenes as well. Um, conversations with them a lot about you know the practical sort of aspects of you know coming across as you know kick-ass best ops guys. You know, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. We had a we had a stunt coordinator uh, Pete Progero on board uh, to make sure and 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 great technical advisors, making sure that those you know those are the things that you know you worry about because if you're not if you're not played that part before or if you don't have that in your background or you don't know about that then you want to make sure that you're getting that right you know they they none of them are American actors they're all um, Brits doing American accents so okay, okay. that's a consideration here. Okay. Yeah. It's something that, you know, you have someone there. Our producer is American, that helps, but you have someone there talking about the, the American dialogue. Uh, but, like, you know, it's... All the all the, the motivations of the characters were sort of hashed out before we went into the sub. And then and then most of the conversations in that set, in the sub, are, you know, logistics. You think, I'm in a room, I have space to, to move and do my character, and then, oh, wait, no, I'm in a tiny box that's filling up with water, and how do I convey this, and how do I get this across? I mean, one of the, you know, later on in the film, you know, a couple of characters are inside a costume uh, that is essentially a, a, a plastic body bag. You know, it's a, 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 a an escape suit, uh, and it's like zipping yourself into a duffel bag. You know, <laughs> acting, let alone not freaking out when you're up to your eyeballs and water, and you're you know stuck inside a, a plastic bag. That's you know that's a, a real challenge, and the and the conversations there get get more towards the the surreal. You know, how do I do this whilst underwater? You know, in a bag. You know. <laughs> well, look, uh, you, 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 we're very close to your premiere at Fright Fest, and so and you're going to be there. Um, yeah. What what are you most excited to experience along with an audi- with the Fright Fest audience about the chamber? Well, Fright Fest is the is the world premiere, and I'm I just super excited about that because that, like I said, that's that's my people, that's my crowd. Um, I go there every year, so for them to be the first people to watch it in the world, the first sort of public audience to get to watch it, um, that's just going to be amazing you know um there'll be there'll be friends and family and faces in the in the crowd that 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 i know and that that's just uh super exciting for me but you know i i think i think it's a great great place to show it it's not like i said it's not like an out and out horror um i'd i'd be worried because you know as as an audience member going to fry fest i'm looking for uh you know uh, you know, head exploding, you know, axe wounds, stuff like that, you know. Uh, there's none of, there's no, there's no chainsaws in the movie, but, um, it's one of those films that I like finding at Fright Fest that, that's a nice, 
you know, alternate sort of thriller um, that oh, sits... Oh, well, I mean, I've got to say, Buried played there, didn't it? A few years yeah, back. yeah. So, I mean, if, if that, you know, if that survives it. Um, and I, I, mean, like, I mean, the thing is, I think it's, it's sort of... I think Horror Festival is, is, out, is an outdated outdated mode anyway. Yeah, the genre festival, yeah. I mean, they call themselves, they, they now call themselves the Dark Heart Cinema, so um, I guess if you, fit, if you fit that one, then you're all right. It definitely has a dark heart, yeah. <laughs> so let's remind people then, when can they see the film? Uh, it's Friday the 26th. Um, at uh, I mean, if they've not got tickets already, the tickets are on sale for the 145 screening on that day. Okay. And, um, you know, the cast, and uh, some of the cast are going to be there. And the guy who did the music is going to be there. Uh, James D. Bradfield of the, the Manic Street Preachers did, um, did the score for the film. That's a hell of a coup. Yeah, it's how, great. How, how did that come about? Um... I guess the Welsh connection, but, you know, uh, a friend of a friend, um, I used to work um, with someone who knows him, and um, we we gave him the script, and he really liked the script, and then chatted about, you know, possibility of doing it, and and the stuff that he's done for it is just, it's it's quite a lot different from, from Manic Street Preachers. I mean, it's it's down there with, on a par with sort of like Trent Reznor sort of stuff, but you know, I think that he really wanted to get into that sort of uh, situation and into that environment as well and, and come up with some great sonic sort of score for it. Um, and yeah, it was, a, it was, that was a great experience working with him. He has a studio in Cardiff, you know, recording there. You know, some of the stuff that's gone through there is, is just blows your mind. I think we were actually mixing it on the mixing desk that they uh, mixed Bohemian Rhapsody on. Uh, <laughs> just, okay. The, you know, that's pretty cool. Was that was that Rockfield Studios? Is that where you were? Uh, no, it's uh, Faster Studios in uh, in Cardiff. Oh, okay, okay. They, imported, they brought in the the mixing desk from uh, from oh, London. See, I see. So, so how, how, how just out of interest, as I mean, scores not come up with any interviews done for a while. Uh, how how hands on are you with that process? You know, when when you, you sort of because obviously you're creating a film, you've written a film, yeah, and then you're saying to a musician, make me some music for this for this <laughs> scene and that scene. That's a hell of a variable to uh, to throw out. Yeah, isn't it? I mean it's, it's James Dean Bradfield. Exactly, so. I was going to say how much. Where's the where's, <laughs> the where's the power shift there? Like you know. Yeah, it's it, it, extremely strange, and it's it's you know, um, it's down to James saying you know please you know just tell me you know and 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 you know if if you think this is shit or you you know you want to do this tell me what you want you know he was he was great in sort of. Uh, in, in, easing me into that because you know to sort of turn up and you know growing up with the manic street preachers i'm in awe of this guy so um but you know he, he gave us a great environment to to rip stuff up to do stuff to, to try things out and he records pretty much everything for real you know everything's you know recorded from something there's you know bits and parts of you know amps and stuff that, mm. that are making the sounds in the movie and it's uh, it's great. It's just a, a great experimental sort of vibe to it. Um, but he, you know, you have extensive, you know, talks with him about, you know, what you want the sound to do, not what you want it to be, what you want it to do. Uh, and then he That's comes back. That's interesting. Yeah. Comes back with something and, yeah, it gives you the ability to, to work with it, to, to, to play around. And, you know, it, it took a while, but it was, you know, it was, just, you know, for the betterment. Are, are there plans to release the soundtrack then? There are there are plans afoot. Yeah, we tried we tried really hard to to get something for Fright Fest, but 
I mean, we literally just finished the film, so uh, it's going to be a rush to get anything for Fright Fest. But um, yeah, it's in the it's in the wings. Um, we're planning on releasing the soundtrack with the UK release um, later on. Brilliant, brilliant, and, and and also then for those people that don't make it to Fright Fest that are listening to this podcast, um, what, is is there any release date yet for the chamber in terms of um, being able to see it elsewhere? It's going to be out. Uh, soonish, it's uh, being picked. It's been picked up by Studio Canal in the UK. They're putting it out on uh, theatrical release. Thank you. Yeah, that's so just uh, that's pretty amazing as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and they've got some other, some great films in the festival as well. I think they got the closing film, which I'm really looking forward to. But yeah, you know, it's going to get a release. Um, you know, maybe uh, around Christmas, but it hasn't been decided yet. But it will be, it will be coming out at some point very okay, soon. Okay, then we'll look. We'll keep us keep us posted, and we can refresh the uh, the podcast come the time you've got a release date. Yeah, great. Yeah. Well, look. Thank you very much for your time to tell us about your movie. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, it's great. I'm looking forward to seeing it on the big screen. So hopefully, it'll be ready then. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're looking there, and best of luck with it. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes. Hey, what's going on? If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we release it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to stream from on the website. This has been a Britflix Flightfest preview podcast 2016. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.